Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Audio Book Club. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, the founder of Content is Queen. Audio Book Club is a monthly event and podcast where we celebrate and discuss Black, Asian, queer and female narratives in literature. Every month, we meet with other audio bookworms to discuss an audiobook recommended by you. But, and it's a big one, you can still attend the live event even if you read and not listened to the book. We'll share our live discussions in every episode. And if we're lucky, we'll have the author, but expect to hear from voice actors, directors, editors and book critics too. Join us for our next live event and taping on Sunday the 27th of June at 4pm UK time where we'll be getting stuck into Sour Hall by Laura Kerwin-Ashburn. You can register to attend at contentisgreen.org forward slash ABC7. The link is also in the show notes. If you can't make it, feel free to send your thoughts and even your questions to us on WhatsApp on plus four four double seven one five four zero double eight three one. We love a voice note. Oh, and apologies in advance, but you'll have to expect some spoilers from these episodes. This week, we're discussing Nervous Conditions by Titi Dangarengba. Nervous Conditions is set two decades before Zimbabwe gained its independence from white minority rule. The book follows 13-year-old Tambuzai as she attempts to gain an education that she hopes will elevate herself and her family out of poverty. Tambuzai, through a series of unfortunate and fortunate events, is able to leave the village she lives in with her parents to live with her uncle Baba Maguru and his wife Maiguru, to attend a school at the mission. Through a number of observations and interactions with her family, chiefly her cousin Yasha, Tambuzai feels at odds with her personal aspirations and her traditional Shona upbringing. Nervous Conditions is a timeless coming-of-age story and a powerful exploration of cultural imperialism. Here's what's coming up. Our thoughts on the patriarchy. There's that bit in the book where Lucia comes to town, no one likes her, and all the men have to have this conversation as to whether she's allowed into the family or not. And I think that's just madness how much control men have. Families in turmoil. I must be the opening line about, I'm basically, I'm happy that my brother's dead. I thought, oh, okay then. Education versus tradition. Many Africans, I guess, can relate to is the want to maintain your culture. There's a resistance with this love for things that are Western and disdain for things that are local and very much like Papa Makuru's family in the book. All this and so much more. Let's get into it. First, let's meet this week's audio bookworms. My name is Sandra. I'm an educator. I work with teenagers and adults in a big college in London. Hi, I'm Amber and I'm one of the co-producers of Audio Book Club and work alongside Imril at Content is Queen. I'm Shazza. I'm based in the West Midlands. I'm a local activist and I also work with the Youth Offended team as a panel member. Hi, everyone. I'm Eunice. I work in international development. Hi, I'm Anita and I'm a community worker and also I run a community radio station. I've just started an exciting podcast called Black Menopause and Beyond, talking about the experience of the menopause, midlife and anything connected to that mature, sophisticated, educated, advanced older woman. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. All right. So should we just kick things off with our first impressions of Nervous Conditions? I have to say I really enjoyed reading it. It's the kind of story that I enjoy because I learn a lot from it. You know, all the history that I did not know that was still is hidden from us. So I learned quite a lot. Also for me, something that was absolutely amazing is the language. 
the way in which the book's written for me is just like, wow, this is the kind of reading that I really enjoy. I hope we have a lot to say because <laughs> I do. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for sharing. So I loved, 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 loved Nervous Conditions. I thought the dissection of patriarchy in the African context was just so perceptive, so nuanced. I found it very telling. For me, there was nothing that really brought it home, like seeing how Tambu's father, who was completely useless, like he has zero ambition. He has no sense of dignity. He's just willing to scrounge off everybody who was willing to even take money for his daughter's school fees he wanted to get he was basically going to drink it all and then even lied after that that he's the one who paid her fees but he is relatively unscathed by life compared to my guru who's Baba Mukuru's wife who is this educated woman who works so hard who has a master's degree who is married can cook knows the traditions you know, she's basically, if there's anybody who should have made it or been happy with life, it should have been her. But it just really goes to show how patriarchy, like all these other oppressive systems, really means that somebody like Tambu's dad can have his voice heard in a family meeting inside. And someone like my guru, with all her education and all her hard work, the strong person that she could be, is locked out of, you know, her voice is not heard, her voice is not considered. So for me, it was just like patriarchy is a system and it allows men to get away with so much and that women have to do, even when they do a lot, a lot, a lot with their lives and work hard, can fall victim to this and, and really be trapped. It's something that I've definitely I used to see a lot growing up in Uganda. It just felt that for every suffering you saw, right, there's poverty, there's unemployment, whatever it was, always seemed to be back-ended with some woman somewhere. Someone's daughter, someone's wife, someone's sister seemed to bear the brunt of it at the end. Suddenly it came across in the book that it didn't matter if they were poor or if they were rich or or educated. It just seemed that patriarchy basically came for you to break your soul. I'll jump in next because I haven't read all, all of it. I can't really have much of an impression, but the first chapter that I read to me, it was just a, a bit of a slow burner. Mm-hmm. However, I did like the uh, cultural aspects of it. I must be the opening line about, um, basically, I'm happy that my brother's dead. I thought, oh, okay, then. Who <laughs> knows? <laughs> I just thought, oh, okay. Now, and I did read a bit about the book beforehand, because I, I hadn't heard of the book. So I suppose I expected a lot. I found it really informative. I found like it highlighted a lot of, issues with regards to feminism and hierarchical gender issues and stuff like that. So I found it quite informative in that sense. It traditionally is not a book I would read, I'll be honest with you. However, I came away from it being informed and being enlightened and it put into words things you think probably happen, but you don't necessarily reflect and think about, if if that makes sense, the sexism and the control and the an autocratic uncle and I don't really think about that stuff but I know other families have characters like that in there so yeah that's that's how I found the book amazing thank you yeah I have like the exact same opinion as Anita there with the book because again it's not something that I would read and then also reading reviews it's meant to be amazing so I I went in with high expectations and yeah it was very like an education again hearing the hierarchies of families and there's that bit in the book where Lucia the mum's sister comes to town no one likes her and all the men have to have this conversation about her and as to whether she's allowed into the family or not and I think that's just madness how much control men have and also it is that era isn't it where men had so much control well still do but more control back then over women and even with like education if her brother didn't die the narrator Tambu wouldn't be in the position she is so very informative I was expecting it to be way more dramatic I don't know why I was, I was thinking the uncle murdered the brother and I was going into that kind of territory but no <laughs> so, um, but no it was good I'm glad I listened to it but it wouldn't be my, my top pick fair enough I feel like I'm a cross between Sandra and, and you guys' opinion, to be honest. I went into this with a lot of high expectations because I've heard so much, because when I've done other 
literature podcast, this book is regularly referenced, regularly mentioned. And I think I understand why now, having listened to it, because there's just, it's very layered and it's very rich. But without it being, like you say, it's not dramatic. There's no massive crescendo in the way that like through the leopard's gauge you're getting really hit over the head with some really intense and violent and traumatic things and the overt history and the trauma of that history and the trauma of colonialism none of that happened and so it's quite interesting to read this because I kind of expected it to be a bit like that and it just wasn't it was a slow burn and you're building up to almost something happening but it's not that nothing happens things happen but they kind of just treat it as this is a normal series of events but we're also viewing this with the context of this is Zimbabwe almost rapidly approaching its independence so there is this rebellion happening and you see this enlightenment with Nyasha of I've been in England I've seen a world that is better for women in particular and I've just seen a world that is better where patriarchy isn't so dominant as it is in like Shona culture and those those kind of like polarizing cultures I thought was really interesting to see play out I really just enjoyed it I found it a really easy listen I really just enjoyed the writing I felt it was beautifully written the narration was really strong for the audiobook and I really kind of felt like Tambu really brought us on the journey so I felt like I could picture things I could understand where she was at. Whilst I couldn't relate to everything she was experiencing, I just kind of got the sense that she's built this world and we're in it now and she's taking us on this journey. But I think there's so many themes. It was just like, wow, okay, I didn't see that coming with Nyasha's eating disorder. I didn't see this coming with this kind of massive clash with Nyasha and her dad. And this Lucia's storyline coming up. So there was loads of things that just kind of tossed up in the air and made you think that I really enjoyed. So normally we go into characters and I think it's quite interesting in that everyone's summary, Tambu was barely mentioned and she's the main one. But it would be great to know how you all felt about Tambu as the narrator and her first person narrative taking us through this book. Do you think she was a strong enough lead? I always saw her as like the flower on the wall because she sees everything and so she's giving us a description of what she's seeing. So I feel like you heard more of Nash's story. Like at the start, it was a bit more about Tambu based because she just really wanted education. And then we hear more about other people's lives. Like when she goes into the uncle's home, like I feel like you get way more of the other members in her family. I mean, this is one of the struggles I had with the book because it's first person, but I felt quite distant. I didn't feel like I was in it considering it was first person. So I took in the information. I didn't feel the emotions, even though I was reading it, if that makes mm, sense. That's interesting. It also relates to the, the fact you said you felt there was no drama. And maybe if I felt more drama, I might have felt more with regards to her and, and it being written in first person. That's interesting, actually, because when you phrased it, like, I didn't feel the things... I was just there mm. taking it in. I feel that actually. Like I didn't really feel when Nasha and her dad got into that fight and apparently he just like spat on her. I was like, oh, okay, drama is unfolded. But you're right. There was like that fly on the wall element of it. It's just being relayed in like quite a matter of fact way. So you're not really feeling the feels. I didn't feel like, oh my God. And to compare that to like through the leopard's gaze where you're like, whoa, I feel this in my bones. That was quite interesting that you said that because I think on balance, I would agree that I didn't feel things, but I definitely I definitely felt like I was there and in it. In my opinion, I think that, you know, Tom Woodside was just like, this is it. She was just telling us a story. It was as if she was writing a diary mm. that happened on a daily basis. This is my life. This is how I live my life. There's a bit of me here, but really I wanted to know what happens in my village. I want to know how people behave, what the relationships are like. I felt more like that, just really just to let us know what's going on and how, how life exactly is. Yeah, I can see that. Shaza, do you have any thoughts on Tambazai? Because we met with her from the very start with her basically hating her brother. Did you have any kind of strong feelings about the narration or how she was relaying the story? No, I mean, she, the story was related quite well, but the character, I just couldn't understand why she had this dislike for her brother okay we all have different relationships with brothers and deep down sometimes there can be resentment you know with sibling rivalry but I think with her and him was I don't know if, his, if it was his arrogance that he portrayed and also the fact that when her brother had passed you know she didn't really have much of a feelings towards that and you would have thought that 
despite you know your differences there's something within you you know the human side of you would feel something i was not sorry when my brother died nor am i apologizing for my callousness as you may define it my lack of feeling for it is not that at all i feel many things these days much more than i was able to feel in the days when i was young and my brother died and there are reasons for this more than the mere consequence of age therefore i shall not apologize but begin by recalling the facts as i remember them that led up to my brother's death for though the event of my brother's passing and the events of my story cannot be separated my story is not after all about death but about my escape and lucia's about my mother's and my guru's entrapment and about nyasha's rebellion what i did enjoy with tambu's character actually was how nyasha was basically rubbing off her and like her views it does seem like the language she speaks in does seem a bit more flourished and potentially because she's getting educated like she's more verbose is that what you mean yeah and i thought it was interesting how she did have similar thoughts to um nyasha but the fact that she's like i need to hold on to this and wait till i'm more educated and have a rounded view on everything which was what was quite interesting also i thought it was really interesting how she was against her mum and dad getting married I found that really shocking. I really didn't understand that. <laughs> I was like, wait, what is your beef with this? And it, they yeah. take a really long time to, I thought she took a really long time to actually explain that. When it was finally explained of like, this is embarrassing. This should have happened years ago. And you've like forced them into this situation that they never felt the need to do. They've never wanted it. Her mother has no say. And her mother was always this voiceless, simpering character, which is just mm. so interesting because she held such strongly held views problematic ones arguably by today's standards but she had such strong views but she was so voiceless and i feel like that really strongly came across and it's like they're having this wedding but who asked for this and why is that mm. happening and this is a further erasure of our culture and our way of doing things and i felt like that theme of englishness and colonialism just coming and taking away and constantly taking but it's coming at the hands of their own <laughs> it is their kin and it's not like these massive outside forces it's very much the family is the perpetrators of this but the bigger picture is that actually it's coming from the fact that they were educated elsewhere what was the reason why she didn't prefer her parents marrying did she say my understanding was that she felt like it was unnecessary and that it was making a fool of them and making a mockery of them so that they were just these characters in this elaborate scheme by Baba Makuru to civilize them. And it's embarrassing for her to be going to her own parents' wedding as a child because in reality, you're meant to have been married already <laughs> back in those days. So the fact that they're not, that's like, what are you saying about my family and what are you saying about our culture and traditions? I did not think my uncle's plans for my parents were something to laugh about. To me, the question of that wedding was a serious one. So serious that even my body reacted in a very alarming way. I suffered a horrible crawling over my skin. This also began to happen whenever I thought of Baba Mukuru and put me in a difficult situation. Naturally, I was angry with him for having devised this plot which made such a joke of my parents, my home and myself. And just as naturally, I could not be angry with him since surely it was sinful to be angry with Baba Mukuru. Baba Mukuru, who was my benefactor, my father for all practical purposes and who was also good deserving of all love respect and obedience mm, it was like to do with the cleansing as well because there was that whole issue with the father and lucia and whether they, they had intimate relations yeah mm. <laughs> and that's why the wedding came about but i did find it upsetting with the mum just because her children were coming so westernized and it's like you're now looking down upon me because our home isn't as nice as Bab Makuri's. We're not able to give you bacon and sausage. And it's like the white man's taking my children, which I thought was really upsetting to hear because that is. And like how the white man killed my son or is taking away my daughter, which I thought was really upsetting to listen to. Mm. I would just like to go back a little bit to the brother issue that uh, Shasa mm -hmm. mentioned, because I think the, well, that's my point of view from what I understood from the book that the fact Tamtai didn't like her brother, I believe it's because he was too westernized by then. And she didn't understand because she had never left the village. She was a, a very, very young child and she could not understand how her brother 
would not accept to take the bus, for example, because to her, it was such a lovely journey. Yes, and that was it. That was what they had there. And he was just rejecting everything that they had been brought up to like. And because she could not accept that kind of behavior, she started to dislike him. So that was how I felt about the brother. And I think then going to straight on to the wedding, there was this, the culture and the religious side of it, because she did not want the parents to wear the white veil and all the clothes. You know, it was just really strange for her that they had to be subjected to that. So that's my understanding of the two issues here. Mm -hmm. I thought the brother storyline was quite interesting in that it was a very visceral hate. (laughs) It was so bad. It was very extreme, but I kind of viewed it through the lens of the men get everything in this family. The men's views count. What the men want, what the boys want, they get everything. They get priority of the food and women are treated as second-class citizens even within their own home and in their own family. And then here's Namo, who's just like coming along. And I guess at the beginning, I already got the sense that he was a little bit arrogant and always trying to be more than he he was. And then he stole the mealies and gave them to his friends or something. And it was almost without consequence that he could just do that. He could just keep taking and taking and taking and taking and taking and taking and giving nothing back and feeling so entitled. And I think that's what really got to her is just like, why do you feel like you can keep taking it? What was quite interesting about Tambuzai's character is just like, where does she get this strong sense that this is unfair from? Where did that education come from? Or where did this understanding of this is inherently unfair? Because this is how this life was. So where did this understanding of this is unfair? Why are you educated over me? I think it comes from her mum because her mum was quiet. She didn't say much. Well, she did not take any action because she said, take your burdens and just accept them. Mm, But, mm. you know, some of her points of view were very, very strong, but she just didn't act. She was just thinking and was, but she would not do anything about that because she just accepted her lot. That's it. But I I believe that there are some parts in the book in which she had very, very strong views about a lot of the way that the the men treated the women, but she had no hope that anything could ever change. Mm. And therefore she just accepted it. Yeah. And then she passed it down too. So, or tried to pass it down to Mm. the daughters of like, Mm. just accept it, just accept it. Which is so interesting because her sister was absolutely the polar opposite of her i love lucia i loved her character so much i remember where i was when lucia was introduced to the book (laughs) do you know what i mean like she brought so much drama and so much naughtiness to it all and And she was she was fun like she was just like i'm not going to be spoken to like this by any of you men i'm going to march in there and say what i've got to say and do what i got to do and it's quite interesting that actually of the two characters actively fighting the patriarchy it's a young girl nyasha and then there's lucia who's been older gone through it had her relations (laughs) and gone through the motions and then you have nyasha who's like actively fighting it in her home and Lucy is fighting for a home that isn't technically hers to fight for. If you have an issue with me, Lucia advised him, stand up and let us sort it out plainly. In two strides, she was beside him and securing an ear between each finger and thumb, she dragged him to his feet. Let me go, let me go, he moaned. I always maintained that I saw smiles slide over the patriarchy's faces. The next thing that I remember clearly was my father starting out of his chair and Lucia warning him to stay in it if he preferred take show with ears. Tell me, Baba Mukuru, she asked companionably, her hands at waist height so that Takesho was bent double. Would you say this is a man? Can it be a man that talks such nonsense? A man should talk sense, isn't it? So what can this be? And she tweaked its ears to find out what it would say. Let me tell you, Baba Mukuru, she continued earnestly. My guru asleep in her bedroom there is the only one with a sensible head on her shoulders. She knows better than to poke into what does not concern her. Uh, Lucia, commanded Baba Mukuru, deploying his peremptory tone which had worked so well at the beginning of the vacation. Uh, Lucia, contain yourself. Do not do anything of which you will be ashamed. And of what should I be ashamed? She retorted. I just want this texture. And she shook his head to make the point. I just want this texture to stop talking nonsense about me. You make me sick, the lot of you. 
It's quite an interesting juxtaposition between those two characters and how it affects them. But then what I loved about Lucia's character is that she still somehow, while she fought for her place, she also knew her place as well in the hierarchy and knew how to... She's like, you have to play the smart. And so with Nyasha, I felt passing on that advice around, of course, I'm going to be thankful to Baba Makuru for getting me this job. And of course, I'm going to be grateful because that is what I wanted. And I asked for that. He wanted to be asked, so I asked. This is how you play your position. Like when people are in power and you want something, sometimes you know you have to ask the question. And Nyasha was too proud to ask or demand what she wanted. Whereas Lucia's like, no, I, I know where I stand in this. So I asked for what I wanted and I got it and I was bold enough to do so. And they found her bold, but they also, weirdly, the men respected it too. And I think that also speaks to like men actually do want to be challenged in life, but that's like a whole aside about relationships. Um, But I thought that was just quite an interesting path of like there's this like feminist gender equality theme running throughout the book of what are the women doing? What are the women doing? And Tambuzai mirroring her mother and my guru a little bit. And then Yasha and Lucia fighting, fighting and pushing and prodding and prodding and prodding. So they get a little bit further. Anyone else on themes of feminism? <laughs> they actually compare Lucy uh, to a man, don't they? Mm-hmm. The point in the book, uh, they say, this one is like a man. <laughs> so. Which is so funny. But they respect men and they respect how yeah, men do is, things, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 that's fine, yeah. The other telling thing, I think, at least on the, the patriarchal theme, was that the one woman who is like, I would say emancipated, who is like, you know, had like freedom, knew what she wanted, could, you know, could go and get what she wanted was the one who was not, who was like unmarried, already basically rejected by society as not a woman worthy, you know, not honorable. And she was kind of like already an outcast. And so she had these freedoms to get away with a lot. While the women who were trying to maintain that standing or to just be within the confines of what society expected of them, and it was really, really difficult. So even my girl with all her education, at some point she says, you know, even her voice had less weight in her house than this lady. Anissa, you were going to say something. For me, and I think this is on a personal level, even though I learnt loads and I absorbed loads, hearing the struggles, I suppose I didn't enjoy that. This is a family divided by that control and there was hatred. And I know there's the cultural influence and everything. It just didn't. I heard it and I understood it and I can relate to it. But at the same time, I just felt sad. Mm. So on the emotional level, it was like hearing things you don't want to hear. When you hear about slavery, you don't want to hear about it, but you know it exists. Yeah. Weirdly, this book reminded me, or I guess a contemporary pairing of this would be Purple Hibiscus by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, because that also has themes of colonialism in Nigeria. Is a very religious book and you can just feel the colonialism just creeping in and dividing the family. When I was reading it, it was reminding me of that. Whereas, I don't know, nervous conditions just felt more normal. I don't think I was overly surprised by anything that happened in the book. A lot of it was new, but I wasn't surprised by it. And I don't know if that's because we had read through The Leopard's Gaze, so it was like respite. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, this is just seems like everyday life. It's interesting to listen in and see how, you're right, Anita, that the struggles that they're enduring are as a result of something bigger than them, but it's still causing this rift and this divide. And what would happen if that didn't exist? What could have been? But I feel like all families, irrespective of the situations, will still have some we'll find something to fight about. On what level are they going to be fighting or disagreeing or grappling with these issues? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey, how are you finding Audio Book Club so far? Do you think you want to get in on the action? Well, you can. Join us for our next live event and taping on Sunday, the 27th of June at 4pm, where we'll be sharing our thoughts on Sour Hall by Laura Kerwin-Ashman. You can register to attend at contentisqueen.org forward slash ABC7. The link is also in the show notes. You can send your thoughts or questions to us on WhatsApp on plus 447715408831. H31. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you follow and leave a review and please do share it with a friend. If you love audiobooks and can never decide what to listen to next, check out the You Heard It Here First podcast, where you'll get honest reviews of audiobooks, podcasts and dramas available on Audible. You can follow You Heard It Here First, the podcast today on your favourite podcast player. Well, I was wondering what your thoughts are on my guru, because she's kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place where she's higher in the hierarchy than Tambu's mother and Lucia, yet she's still having to wait hand and foot on the uncle and still being a really educated woman herself. So she's stuck in the middle. She doesn't have a place with anyone, it seems, within the family. That's a good question. What are your thoughts on my guru? I was glad she left for a bit. I was like, yes, get out there. Be your own woman. And she just wanted to be the peacekeeper throughout it, didn't she? Mm. She hated all this arguing. But yeah, really knew that women didn't have as much of a say than men. She had a really good monologue. It was when Tambuzai got the scholarship to the Catholic or convent school. And she was just like, she's going to be indecent whatever she does. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter what she does. She's already surpassed the expectations that men have of women in society. And therefore, she's just going to just be called whatever she's going to be called. Because you can be smart, you can be a prostitute, you're going to be an indecent woman. So what what is the big deal? And I was just like, yes, my guru, you're absolutely right. Let the girl live. (laughs) Let her do her thing. Speak freely, my... Say whatever you are thinking. I don't think, she began easily, in her soft, soothing voice, that Tambudzai will be corrupted by going to that school. When we went to South Africa, everybody was saying that we, the women, were loose. It wasn't a question of associating with this race or that race at that time. People were prejudiced against educated women. That's why they said we went decent. I'm disappointed that people still believe the same things. After all this time, and when we have seen nothing to say it is true, I don't know what people mean by a loose woman. Sometimes she is someone who walks the streets. Sometimes she is an educated woman. Sometimes she is a successful man's daughter. Or she is simply beautiful. Loose or decent, I don't know. All I know is that if our daughter Tambuzai is not a decent person now, she never will be. I think I respected her more than I thought think I should maybe I think she played a lot of things quite smart but I think she had a lot of regret and remorse about the life she was living you could tell she definitely wanted more for herself and more for her daughter she wanted more independence and more power but she wasn't voiceless in the way that mother was and so for that I had a lot more respect because given the household she was in what she had married into and what it afforded her and her access to education. I felt like actually she had played it smart considering the time period she was in. Then the fact that she did leave, I felt like, okay, she's really upping the ante here and demanding more for herself. So I had a a lot of respect for my guru, a lot of it. I kind of wish they went into more detail about her education and they talk about how she had a job and how she has to work twice as hard and I'd love to know really what she was doing and what it was like in the UK for her as well. So she was a teacher and she has a master's in psychology. That's probably why she could put up with the situation. Yeah. Because of the master's in psychology. She was a character like that. She would say sometimes what she really wanted to say, but she could play every single part really, really well. She would not escalate or let things escalate. There was also the fact that Baba Makuru used to consult her in what he was about to do. So he tended to invite her to have an opinion. So I think that's quite interesting. So on the one hand, they were not that respected, but then again, he still wanted to listen to 
what she wanted to say. Yeah, I agree. I felt like that came through. She had his respect, definitely. I suppose what Baba Makuru had done or how his role played out, because I guess they're inextricably linked in some ways as mm-hmm. characters, is that he's gone to England to be, <laughs> quote unquote, civilised and mm-hmm. educated. I mean, they're using education, but that we know what this means in colonial terms, don't we? And he has come back with these Western ways and these Western ideals and these overtly religious ideals as well. And because if he didn't go, another person would be chosen to go in his place. So he has a fundamental understanding that what he has gained, it could have been taken away because he doesn't have that much power. So I felt like his character was always exerting his power because he was also still somewhat powerless in the wider society. So because he couldn't always get what he wanted to or do what he wanted to do, he was able to exert that power over his immediate family, but by extension, the wider family. And that was in the form of like this very extreme form of patriarchy and religion. And I mean, education is very important. So the kind of stressing of the education felt actually quite good. And the fact that he was willing to invest in the wider family's education too. He wasn't a bad person, but he took on so many of these westernized ideals but still, for some reason, didn't take the gender equality, (laughs) didn't take the feminism. And instead, he was just like, no, I want to maintain and upkeep these kind of really traditional ways of being. I want to keep traditional Shana family values to the detriment of the women in his family. And he just never kind of realised that. And I think when my guru left, maybe, maybe, and I guess it never is explored because why would Tambuzai know what is going on in Baba Makuru's head, she wouldn't. But maybe that would have forced him to question, like, why are the women rebelling? Because Nyasha's eating disorder resulted in her having to go to hospital. I do wonder, like, if in the continuation of this story, would he have reflected and gone inward and been like, the women in my family are unhappy? Or would he have just stayed the same because men don't have to think about that? That's true. And also it's the 60s, so it's that time. And since you mentioned that, there is a sequel to this book, isn't it? There are two more. <laughs> I didn't know that, but there are two yeah, more. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah, when you find out what my guru did, really did. Yeah, yeah, the Mudable <laughs> Body is meant to be the follow-up yeah, to this. Yeah, that's, I think, number three. But there is a book of not. I've definitely heard that. That sounds familiar. I don't know if I'm, like, super invested in the characters enough. I liked my guru. I'd like to know where she landed in her marriage, but... I also feel like I've met women like her in their marriages. I feel like I've known them and they're in my generation as aunties. (laughs) And whilst I am Caribbean, I have dated African men, first generation. And so I feel like I've encountered their aunties and I generally know how that plays out. (laughs) So so I'm like, "Mm, do I need the continue? I I mean, I know the book is a continuation of Tambu's Eye. So that actually could be quite interesting of how she then went on with her education and where she landed and did she go back? And Because I think when you are first generation, that is very easy. And I'm first generation British. My mum came over when she was nine or ten. My dad, the same. And I think in our conversations, me and my sister are more educated than they are by virtue of them wanting us to be. But I also think sometimes we've had conversations where they resent it. And I think that came through with Tambuzai and her mum, of her mum resenting her education a little bit and resenting what she's come back and become. My guru is educated. That's why you all kept quiet. Because she's rich and comes here and flashes her money around. So you listen to her as though you want to eat the words that come out of her mouth. But me, I'm not educated, am I? I'm just poor and ignorant. And so you want me to keep quiet. You say I mustn't talk. Eh? But I have a mouth and it will keep on talking. It won't keep quiet. She steals other women's children because she could only produce two of her own. They're a disgrace to decent parents. Except that my guru is not decent because first she killed my son and now she has taken Tambuzai away from me. Oh yes, Tambuzai. Do you think I haven't seen the way you follow her around? She spat at me fiercely. Do you think your mother is so stupid? She won't see my guru has turned you against me with her money and her white ways. You think I am dead now? Me, your mother. Just the other day you told me that my toilet is dirty. It disgusts me. That's what you said. If it is meat you want that I cannot provide for you. If you are so greedy, you would betray your own mother for meat. Then go to your my guru. She'll give you meat. I will survive on vegetables, as we all used to do, and we have survived. So what more do you want? You have your life. Go to your my guru and eat sausage. And it's like, you wanted better for me because what parent doesn't want better for their child? But also there's the resentment and that pull of like, you're different now. Who are you? 
you can't relate to me. You don't understand me. You're not hearing me. And I've had that with my own family and with my own dad, who's like, you guys suddenly just you get educated and you don't even know what I'm talking about. And you think I'm the most offensive person. You think I'm this and you think I'm that. And it's just like, well, no, we just <laughs> we just have a different way. And we've literally grown up in a whole different country with different people. And we just have different ideas. Like, why is your expectation that? And it's a very interesting struggle and an interesting push and pull of like loving your family and wanting to maintain your own culture and identity through what they've shown you and what they've taught you and what you've been raised with, but also seeing that there could, not even that, I don't want to call it a better way, because that's the trap, isn't it? Especially with immigrant families, you come to the motherland and it's going to be better and you're going to be better. And I don't think it is better. I just think it's different. And it's an interesting place. And I think that's probably where I related to the book a bit more of that. I feel that pull of like, oh, this is different. (laughs) And when she goes to eat dinner and she's like, knife, fork, light. And I had the reverse of that because I grew up here and I went back to my mum's island where she grew up in St. Kitts. Whilst a lot of the things were similar, there were a lot of things that were different that felt a step back a little bit. I was very young, so I don't know if I looked down on it. I think I found it fun and different and it was an experience. But when I grew up and lived there as an adult and I was like, oh God, I have to like go and fetch water because the water switched off. What life is this? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And it's like, I'm not better than these people because the water stopped or the electricity has gone because of hurricanes or a a big storm's come, you know. But there is just like this difference. And I think a lot of these people will have ideas about if they've never left, they think you've gone on to do better. Particularly growing up in Uganda was like the tension between maintaining like African traditions. So one of the things that many Africans, I guess, can relate to is, you know, you want to maintain your culture. There's this pride about like African culture. There's a this tension with this love for things that are Western and disdain for things that are local. And very much like Papa Makuru's family in the book, my family, I grew up in the city in Kampala and we used to go to the village for Christmas. And I remember we used to have to almost take on like completely new characters when we went to the village because we were expected to be like super traditional. We didn't behave in the same way when we were back home, but it felt like you were expected to act that way because you didn't want to be seen as like the city kids who were like corrupted by modernity, who didn't know their tradition, who didn't know their language. And yet at the same time, it was like these people aspired to being us in a way, like they envied us of us, that we were the city kids who went to the city schools, etc. So it was like this love for the modern and the Western, but also at the same time, it was like trying to put you down for not being traditional enough. So this is a tension I feel that has just always been a theme through my life. And I don't, I don't really know where... We resolve it. I think it's kind of embracing both, but it's definitely something that I could definitely relate to in the book. Mm. Well, Tambu got a glimpse of that herself when her cousin came back from the UK and the fact that she wasn't able to speak Shauna anymore. And it's like, you have changed and it's as if you are better than us. But then, of course, it was only a glimpse because then she went to Babankura's house and then became westernised herself. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how it plays out. And it's really nice to have it documented in such a tangible way, in the way that Titi has been able to do that. Because you're right, like she went back to her mother's village after some time and she's like, this toilet (laughs) is disgusting, (laughs) do you know? And it's like... Why are oh. we eating green meat? What is going on? I also don't know why my guru was hell-bent on eating this green meat. But there was just so many things that just kept coming up for her. And she was like, I will never let this go. I'm going to remain true to my roots. But then she went and she just experienced simpler life. Like, I, I love the description she gave for the tea strainer. She's like, this little thing oh, is just gosh. a strain tea. That's it. We have been surviving all our lives without this thing. And now you're telling me that I made now depend on this tea strainer to just drink tea. What life is this? <laughs> I just would never. It doesn't even occur to you because when you grow up with stuff, then you have it. It doesn't occur to you that someone else would just find it. It's a completely foreign concept because they've never had that. Mm. Also, when she went to the convent school, the new school, the snacks that my guru gave to Tambu to take with her were all UK snacks, like jams, crisps, mm. biscuits, mm. Nothing from their actual culture, which I thought was interesting. It's like, yeah, her home comforts now to think of home are like these chocolates and biscuits that you get from the UK. Yeah. 
So you can see how you would quite quickly lose something. I, I guess that's where mother's criticism comes from. It's just that this loss. Because even though she's physically there, she's not there anymore. She's not the same anymore. And I think that's what's so clever about this book is that nothing dramatic needed to happen. It's just through the process of education and suddenly people have gone and literally one child died and then the other one's not there and not not her daughter or not recognisable as her daughter anymore. That's really interesting. Yeah, there's a beautiful passage in which she says they went to England but they didn't come back. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. really, wow. Yes, yes. It mm, is. It is. Because <laughs> yeah. when you are the child, you're just on the journey. But as the adults, the adults tend to know better. But Nyasha said it best towards the end of like, they resent me for who I've become. We shouldn't have gone, Nyasha was saying, looking disheartened. The parents ought to have packed us off home. They should have, you know. Lots of people did that. Maybe that would have been best. For them at least, because now they're stuck with hybrids for children. And they don't like it. They don't like it at all. It offends them. They think we do it on purpose, so it offends them. And I don't know what to do about it, Tambu. Really, I don't. I can't help having been there and grown into the me that has been there. But it offends them. I offend them. Really, it's very difficult. They wanted me to be this person and now they don't like me. And how does that, how does that work? <laughs> you know, how do you not like the person that you wanted me to become? And it's because no one knows what you're going to become. They just know that life is meant to be different, better for you. But with that freedom and with those opportunities... If you've never been afforded it, how can you know what's going to come on the other side? And what happens if she becomes wealthy and there's like lavishing gifts on them? Will they appreciate that or will they find it distasteful? <laughs> so many different things. I think on balance, like the book is very clever and I can definitely can see why it has been added to curriculums and it's been listed as a top 100 book and it's won the Booker Prize and things like that. Like, I can see that. I understand that. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion to be had there. You can pinpoint so many issues and then just having a discussion, just a lesson plan for this book would be... Literally, you know, honestly, yeah. you really could. Because we didn't even touch on Nyasha and her eating disorder. Like, yeah, that's, And that's a whole conversation in and of itself. Yes, yeah, and yeah. like this constant idea that her dad is forcing her to eat. Nyasha, yeah. eat. Uh-huh. But is it that he's seeing that she's not and that he's seeing thinness and so he's always forcing her to eat but then she's rebelling and she's rebelling and it's that oh, that could yeah we can go down that <laughs> that track because mm. it's like if you're looking at a UK beauty standard where she was in the 60s it was all skinny and angles whereas in the culture in Zimbabwe it's being plump and healthy because that's the sign of being healthy Mm, mm, yeah, so yeah, a so. product of her surroundings, really. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Wow. She all got very deep on a Sunday. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think on balance, I feel very lucky to have read it, and I feel very glad that I've read it. So thank you, Sandra, for recommending thank it. You. Because good. I did, I did enjoy it. I think yeah. it's like you said, it's like you start to pull one thread, and then actually, the whole thing starts to unravel. There's so much to this, and it's so unassuming that you can just go through it and miss a lot if you're not paying attention. But I found I was very engrossed with it. I just wanted to just see what happened and just continue being a fly on the wall in this culture and this lived experience that I just have no real connection to beyond the colour of my skin, really. No, for me, this is it's exactly the point because, like I said before, I'm from Brazil. And in Brazil, we do not really study anything about Africa, mm. anything at all. So it's just really the fact that I live in England now, that I've been reading so much, that I just have this passion for reading anything that's to do with the, the African continent. And like I said before, I'm trying to read a book from each country and just try to learn a lot of what happens and what used to happen, especially you know, about colonialism. So to me, it's a very rich book. I just loved it. And, you know, I just love learning, basically. I'm an educator, so, you know, I learned to teach. I learned to pass on the knowledge. So this is definitely going to be in my lessons. Amazing. That's what we like to hear. (laughs) I was just going to say that the book, in the way it's written, seems very timeless. And I feel like it would be relevant in any sort of day. Because even though it was written in the 80s, based in the 60s, it still has issues that you could pinpoint today and things that you can talk about. Yeah, it's great that it's something that you can talk about whenever, really. Amazing. 
Thank you. That's a good final thought. Shazza and Anita, any final thoughts from you, actually? I reflected a lot. I know the way it was narrated reminded me of a friend I went to uni with because she just sounded identical. Every time I heard, oh my God, she's the one. It's Patricia here. It's like, <laughs> it's like, and I actually understood my friend better because I got to know all her family. I used to get invited to all her family parties. It just reminded me of her and her sister and, and the uncle she hated. And so I understood her better actually listening. And as I said, I was sad about just kind of the reminder of control and feminism and it's just sad I don't like things like that so that was quite sad because you live it every day it's in your family but yeah it was, it was definitely informative and I won't forget it wonderful Shazza are you gonna finish it yeah I'm gonna finish off the audio and just for me to also pick up on some of the cultural aspects of the um, book mm-hmm and based on what the reflections that everybody was saying, I think it sounds interesting, but for me, the first couple of chapters, I just kept waiting for something to happen and it didn't. Mm. So that's probably why I put it down for a bit. But yeah, I'm going to see it through. Good. That's what we like to hear. Hopefully our discussions has helped egg that on. Because it's worth yeah. it. It's very matter-of-factly <laughs> told. But all of those moments build up to something more and they yeah. all kind of come yeah. together in a a good little crescendo. We have come to the end of the show. A huge thank you to all of our audio bookworms for joining us today. Nervous Conditions is definitely a classic and we had so many thoughts and feelings that we can even cover today. I highly, highly recommend you give it a read or a listen ready to have a go you know you can become an audio bookworm and yes that does include if you've read and not listened to the book our next event is on sunday the 27th of june at 4 p.m where we will be discussing sour hall by laura kerwin ashman you can register to attend at contentisqueen.org forward slash abc7 or find everything you need in the show notes if you can't bear to wait a month for your next audio book fix check out you heard it here first a recommendation show that helps you find a new audiobook podcast or drama to listen to on audible you can subscribe and listen to it for free on your favorite podcast player thank you for listening and a huge thanks to all our excellent audio bookworms this was a content is queen production hosted by myself imriel morgan produced by amber miller and imriel morgan the clips used are from nervous conditions courtesy of faber and faber The music and sound effects are sourced from Epidemic Sound.